Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. Welcome to Notes from the North, your go-to Minnesota Vikings podcast. This is episode 26. Uh, here to break down that Bengals game. I, I don't really know what to say about it. Uh, Kyle, how, how are you doing? I, um, you know, Sam and I have mentioned before that we share a Google Doc uh, to kind of work off of when we do these podcast episodes. And I've titled this one Bungling the Bengals because it just feels like yesterday was such an absolute the far superior team will win. And uh, we didn't. And so we lost. And and that's that's kind of, but we'll get into that maybe in a few minutes. So I'm not sure. doing uh, great, but uh, Bungling the Bengals, that's where we are. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, there's a lot of directions we can go with this, so yes, let's jump right. into it. Um, yeah. First, let's look at the offensive miscues. Uh, game started really poorly. I think that that's fair. I, I don't know how many fouls or how many penalties there were on that opening drive, uh, but there was a substantial amount. Um, the game started poorly because of some of the offensive mistakes here. I think so. What do you make? Like, how do you make sense of all the errors that happened there? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Sam. Because uh, before we hopped on here, I was just perusing Vikings.com and the good folks over there who run the media content. And they point out, this is a, this is a quote uh, from the Vikings.com article. So you can go over there and check it out. It says, quote, by that point, the Vikings opening possession of the season ended with six plays for 39 yards, dot, 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 and four penalties for 25 yards. So in that first drive, we actually had a little bit of success moving the ball but we committed four penalties, which set us back 25 yards. And the penalties, we had three false start penalties on that first drive alone. Two of them went to CJ Ham, who is our fullback, and he's a veteran, right? Like this isn't, that was part of what was so frustrating in the sense that, you know, you got guys who, so CJ Ham, he's a captain. He's one of our eight captains. He's been in the league now for multiple years. He's an incredibly hard worker. Like you probably couldn't find a Vikings player who's more respected by the coaching staff and his teammates than CJ Ham. I love CJ Ham. But just stupid errors. I mean, these are you talk about like in tennis, you talk about unforced errors where you just put the serve in the net. This was the equivalent of just putting the serve in the net over and over again. This wasn't your opponent making an amazing shot and putting you in a bad spot. This was us just stupidity, right? Just you know, and I understand that it was the first game of the season. I understand that the offense didn't play a lot together in the preseason, the starting offense, that is. And I understand that last year you didn't have um, the fans and the fan noise. And so, you know, you get various factors. But again, we're talking about basic things. We're talking about a false start, right? Knowing the snap count and, you know, beginning your movement when the play begins, right? And so that was incredibly frustrating. I know that every single one of our starting offensive linemen got a penalty. Uh, Rashad Hill had a tough game. Oli Udo had a tough game. Um, you know, especially, you know, that it's one thing to fall start. It's one thing to hold, but then that 15 yard unnecessary roughness was brutal. Again, that, that, that's a mental error, right? That's not uh, a D tackle or a defensive end getting the best of you and you hold on and you know what? You tip the cap sometimes and you say, you know what? That guy across from you had a great play. So sometimes you tip the cap and say, okay, we're just going to move on. But the unnecessary roughness, that's just that, that's just letting the moment get the best of you and, and just making a stupid mistake. Uh, so the O-line, I think I was seeing on that same Vikings.com article, 
I think we had uh, 160 penalty yards, and 70 of those went to the offensive line. Yeah. Uh, rough game for the dudes up front. It, it makes sense. If, if you didn't know their numbers going into the game, you, you know them now. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, number 69. That, that's heard that one a few times. Um, yeah. It was painful. I, I actually can't remember. Like, obviously, different teams don't always employ a, a fullback, but yeah. having a running back being charged with a, I want to say a false start. Yeah, um, false start. That's what it is, yeah. But, uh, like, to, to watch on multiple plays on the same drive like it just yep. out of all the positions it feels like the one that should least happen um so it just uh, it was shocking but yeah the offensive line for sure um anything else on the offensive end that you saw that that you felt like they really um some miscues there on, on the offensive on the offensive side of the ball yeah so i thought um i thought adam Thielen was excellent from start yeah. to finish and I think he's probably the only offensive player who I can say he was excellent. Like he, he, he just had a great game. He showed up and he brought it. And um, that's why I still think he's our number one wide receiver. Even though I think Jefferson maybe has a higher ceiling, I would still say that Thielen is our, our, our WR1, our wide receiver one, because uh, he's done it for so long. By this point, there's so much film on him. Defenses have adjusted. They've tried everything. The dude just always comes in and produces and competes. And so Thielen, I thought, was our only guy who played, you know, basically a flawless game. I'm sure you could go back and see, you know, on certain run blocks, maybe he could have been, but like pretty much uh, a perfect game or a, a great, great game for Thielen. After that, I thought Dalvin Cook played pretty well. I mean, the offensive line in front of him was just so poorly. The vast majority of his yards, I think I was reading on PFF. So if he ran for 61, he had 61 rushing yards. I'm pretty sure 45 of them came after contact. Right. So he's getting hit pretty early and he's breaking tackles and he's being forced to shift and spin and, you know, do all these things to try and pick up more yards. He didn't have very much help. Right. And then I think after that, you might say KJ Osborne had a nice game. I was happy about how KJ Osborne looked, but he also had a false start. Uh, so, you know, he had another, he had a penalty. Um, you know, I thought Justin Jefferson was just so, so, uh, but then again, you know, they were, they had good coverage on him at different points. Uh, but Cousins could be late with the ball, right? He could be he could be late with his release, and sometimes it was behind Jefferson. And so a couple of those times where you're watching the game broadcast and you say, man, why didn't he come down with that? Well, it's because Cousins was, you know, just half a second too late. Or because Cousins put the ball two yards behind his man rather than two yards in front of his man where he can extend his arms, catch it, and keep running, right? So uh, I thought Jefferson was just so-so, but he easily could have had a much bigger game if Cousins had played sharper. Um, I was disappointed. I'm going to have to go back and so rewatch the game and see uh, what Clint Kubiak did, kind of what he... I know that we had about 50 throws in comparison to about low 20s in the runs. So, we have, so you know, you just do the mental math. We have to about twice as many throws as we have runs, which is not what the Vikings want to do. Now... A big part of that is because we, we got behind the sticks early and often. Uh, Zim said in his uh, post-game press conference that it, going into the third quarter, our average third down yardage was like third and 21. Like we were, we were facing, you know, bas basically not impossible, but, you, you know, circumstances that you almost never succeed. You know, K.J. Osborne had that play where 
he broke a tackle and ended up going for 25 yards on third and 24. You know, but that play design, that wasn't about getting a first down. That was about K.J. Osborne picking up six, seven, eight yards so he could kick a field goal. It just so happened that he made a great play, kept his feet in bounds. He got the first down. We ended up scoring a touchdown. So you tip the cap to K.J. Osborne, but that really wasn't the design. Uh, you know, we just got behind the sticks basically consistently throughout the first half. And as a result, we had to kind of abandon the run game, right? So even though it was a close game, even though it was the circumstances, the scoreboard um, for a, the first half at least would have allowed for us to run the ball more, um, we really couldn't. And so that threw us off kilter on offense, I think, to a certain extent. So I want to be, on the one hand, I don't want to come down too much on Clint Kubiak because this is his first ever game calling plays, at least in the regular season. Uh, but then again, you know, you say how much... So how much blame goes to Zim, and then how much blame goes to Kubiak in that these players were consistently getting penalized? Uh, I think he had twelve penalty, he had sixteen overall penalties, twelve of which were accepted. Uh, you know, unnecessary roughing, holding, false starts. You know, just brutal, stupid penalties. Uh, un- unbelievable, really, to the to the point where it almost got comical. Um, it was. I was waiting for flags to be thrown on Precisely. any any positive yardage play. I was like, "Where's the flag?" Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it was, you know, to to your point or to your question about like the offense. You know, I don't know how much blame Clint Kubiak should get. Uh, I don't like the ratio of like twenty five runs and fifty passes, but there's a reason for that. Now, but how much blame does he get for those penalties? Well, on the one hand, you got to have some individual accountability and say that. You know, you're a grown man. You've been playing this for the, this game the vast majority of your life. You know the snap count is on one or it's on two or whatever the case may be. You know, don't commit a false start. Uh, so there's some individual accountability. There's some accountability to whoever's in charge of the offense and, and prepping your dudes. Uh, so but I think Clint Kubiak's got to get some blame. I think Cousins has to get some blame because he just wasn't crisp for a decent portion of the game. Even though his stats look good, he threw the ball 50 times, right? Um and a lot of the yards he picked up were after the catch, which, you know, again, I'm not going to fault the guy for, you know, his receivers making nice plays and breaking tackles and going for more yards, but uh, don't let the stats fool you. Cousins was pretty good with, without, he wasn't great. Uh, now, to his credit, he did march us down the field in the fourth quarter and allow us to have that field goal attempt. He did march us down the field in overtime, and you had that, uh, maybe this would be a good point to transition, but that Dalvin Cook fumble where it certainly looked like his backside was on the grass. Um, but uh, I'm not in charge of officiating. So it was, it was a little... Dis- Cousins does, I think, deserve some praise insofar as he he had some really nice moments. But there were different points where he just didn't look sharp. And I don't know if that just was a lack of preseason reps or what the deal was. Uh, but man, oh man, there's a lot of blame to go around in that offense. For sure, for sure. And that was, like you said, it's a good point to transition because I think in second down, we did want to talk about the refs. And I personally, at least, I don't like sitting here and criticizing refs, but I do think that there were some plays yesterday that were certainly noteworthy. And so I yep. do think we need to talk about that a little bit. Um, yep. The officiating certainly didn't help. I know you, you outlined a lot of the mistakes that were made. The yep. officiating was certainly a problem. Um, yep. Or it didn't help. I think that's. Yeah. I think it's certainly a, a fair, unbiased way to say it. Um, yeah. So I'll ask you just outright: Did the refs blow this game with the the Cook fumble? 
So they, they blew the call, yeah. I think, but they didn't blow the game. Right. I mean, we, we shouldn't have Minnesota as the far superior team. We should have never even allowed the referees to have the chance to blow the game, right? Or the, or the blow the call, rather, right? Like, we, we, sh- we should be beating Cincinnati handily, not uh, be sitting there in front of our TVs, you know, us as fans. You know, the, the Vikings shouldn't have put us in that position to be sitting there in the slow-mo when you see his backside, you know, hitting the grass, and then you see the, the ball kind of in his forearm, we just should have never been in that position, right? And so you could say, well, Dalvin Cook should have had better ball security in the first place. And two, what are we even doing in overtime against the Bengals, right? And, you know, Burrow, who's a nice player, I'm not taking anything away from Burrow, but coming off that major injury, uh, you know, he hasn't even had a full rookie season yet, right? And here you get this this veteran Vikings team uh, spending a lot of money, right? Per, you know, pretty close to the cap, bringing a lot of talent, uh, and then all of these miscues, you know, I'm not blaming the refs for calling false starts. That, that, that's, that's not, that's not a judgment. That's just an objective error. Like, like the, you know, the player moved in an illegal way before the ball was snapped. Well, that, that's, that's not a referee problem. That's a, a CJ Ham problem, a Brian O'Neill problem, a KJ Osborne problem. Those are mistakes that individual Vikings players made that Clint Kubiak and Zimmer are going to have to address with the players. Right. And so I don't blame the referees for those things. I was disappointed with both the Jefferson uh, call on the challenge. To me, it looked exceedingly clear. You know, he had his, his backside was in the air. Both his knees were off the ground. The ball was crossing the plane. Okay, touchdown. You know, and then with Cook, I was seeing that. I thought the Cook one was less clear. But even still, I'm saying to myself, uh, yeah, like he's, he's down, right? And I'm, you know, I'm texting a few buddies. You know, I'm texting a New England fan. I'm texting a Denver fan. I was messaging Sam. And ever since, like, oh, he's like, he's clearly, or uh, we think he's down, right? And I thought he was down as well. Uh, but Zim said in his press ca- or his press conference after the game, when it takes that long, you start to kind of fear the worst, and you think to yourself, uh, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna go in Minnesota's favor. And so, where I was a, maybe a touch disappointed is that the on the on field call was such that it made those. Uh, replay review is difficult, right? So Jefferson certainly appears to score a touchdown. One referee puts his arms up in the air, singling touchdown. The other closer to him says, no, it's not, right? And so that establishes a precedent. And then the official rule is that it has to be clear and definitive evidence to overturn. Now, I thought it was there, but evidently it wasn't, right? And then with Dalvin Cook, they call it a fumble recovered by the Bengals. Well, that's the on-field call now. And apparently the angles that they had didn't, you know, go beyond that threshold of clear uh, and definitive evidence to overturn uh, what the referees ended up calling on the field. Uh, it looked like such an innocent play, didn't it? Like when you, when you're watching that Sam in real time, you know, I watched that in real time and I said to my wife, okay, that's fine. That, that, that's a good call. We're basically in field goal range. We're basically, we want to drain the clock. And at the very worst, we're going to have a field goal attempt for the win. Cincinnati should never get the ball back. Right, so I, I, like after that play happened, I didn't even realize what happened for like probably five, ten seconds because I was saying to my wife, "Yeah, no, that, that's fine. You know, he picked up two yards, whatever. This, this is about worst case we're going to tie. Best, you know, best case we're going to have that field goal attempt and we're going to leave here with a win." What was what were you thinking when you saw that play? Yeah, when I initially saw it, I was like, I, when they called it a turnover, I was like, I was quite surprised that that was actually the the call on the field. Yeah, uh, right. And then the 
when they did the review and everything. I know, I agree. I thought he was down. I know I saw someone say that they thought they saw the ball moving a little bit as he was getting down there. I do think that out of the two calls between the Jefferson call and the Cook call, the Jefferson seemed more clear cut and dry. Like he was off. He was good. And that could have been problematic. Like Cook runs it in the very next play is fine. If we had needed another timeout, too, that that could have been problematic. But at the end of the day, that that's what it looks like to fight through a bad call. But mm-hmm. um, like I said, I think that with refs, you can, like you said, there's certain calls like false starts or whatever, uh, even holdings. Sometimes, sometimes the holding calls can be subjective. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and complain about those calls because they go both ways. Yep. Um, usually, but when you're talking about turnovers, yeah. that especially in overtime and considering where they were and what had happened and everything that transpired there. And like, just considering where the the balls, like there was, I did have a thought at one point, like maybe they should just kick this and get this done and over with. I know it would have been a long field goal at that point. Um, But man, that's, it's just, it's so killer to think about that being the difference right now between one and oh and and oh and one. I know. And, and you know, I, I sit here and I can get bitter about it. And I, I, to a certain extent, I definitely am. Like, I'm upset about it. Because um, I just think it was just, you know, two or three errors strung together by the officiating, both on the fields and making that call in the first place. And then in review, I mean, why even have review if, uh, you know, you're not going to make this, you know, the best evidence we have available to us suggests that Cook was down, right? Yeah, it was hard. But I, it is. It's super hard, and I'm, I'm I'm as biased as it gets, right? And so I'm sure Cincinnati fans are seeing it completely different. And I'm sure if you talk to the folks in New York who are at league offices making these decisions, I'm sure they'd see it, you know, even you know differently, right? And so I, you know, I, I get that. Um, boy, it's just tough. It's yeah. it's tough. You you put the ball. Uh, so I, I'm a I'm a big believer in you know you live and die by your studs. Right, so so who are your stud players? We put them in a position position to succeed. If they can't get it done, well, then we didn't deserve to win, right? And so, you know, in that moment, you have Kirk Cousins handing the ball off to Dalvin Cook, your best player, arguably your best, you know, certainly your best offensive player, maybe your best player on the team, one of the best in the NFL. And uh, you know, again, you just you control what you can control. He shouldn't have allowed the ball to get to get stripped like that, Uh, even though I think he was down. He, he shouldn't he shouldn't have had the issue with the ball security and, and even allowed it to be a thing in the first place. So our best player uh, put us in that position, unfortunately, and, and that's how it ended up shaking out. And so it's disappointing in that Sam and you know, I've talked about how this week one game felt really important because now we're heading to Arizona and then we have Seattle and then from there we have Cleveland. Right. And so we, you know, Cleveland went toe to toe with KC. Cleveland's a pretty good team. Like, I know they're still the Browns, but then Seattle, they always play as tough. They always seem to have find a way to win. And, dude, Arizona looks good. I mean, they, they made Tennessee look bad, and Tennessee, we know, is a pretty good team. Chandler Jones, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he have five sacks yesterday? So yeah. you got Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. We we couldn't handle Cincinnati's defensive line. Our offensive line was over, overwhelmed. What are they going to do against Chandler Jones who may be the most powerful defensive end. Like, I'm not saying this in any way. It's exaggeration. He might be the most powerful defensive end in the NFL. Like, he is an explosive guy. He had five sacks, right? And so I just, I think that Arizona's strengths align with our weaknesses. 
right? Like they their powerful defensive ends are probably going to overwhelm our offensive line. Uh, Kyler Murray, his scrambling ability is probably going to present some real issues for our defense. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins might feast on Bashad Breeland, right? So I, I'm a little nervous in losing this game because uh, we have three really, really tough ones coming up here. Yeah, and I think the I think if you look at it and probably honestly feel like the Arizona game's the most winnable, like. Like yeah, and maybe uh, like after watching us, like if you started at the start of the season, at least that's what I would have said. After watching yesterday and watching how they did, it's like okay, like maybe not. Yeah, but, right, right. Um, yeah, to start, you like you can't start zero and four, so there needs to be <laughs> yeah, that's right. There that's needs right. to be something that gives here and, and something that happens. And um, I think we've said, or at least mentally, I've thought it. Maybe I haven't verbalized it, but like. To go two and two at the start here is kind of a must for them to be able to to do what they need to do. So somehow find two wins in the next three games is, yeah. is crucial. Well, I will say, so you can't win the Super Bowl in September, but you nope. sure can lose it, right? And so yeah, and same same thing with October. You can't win the Super Bowl in October, but you sure can lose it. You know, last year we start the year one and five. We pretty much lost the Super Bowl, you know, because we just we basically shot ourselves in the foot. We we lost our chance to compete and be able to get into the playoffs, right? Uh, we just came up short in the end, and so with the Vikings, you kind of have a bit of a pattern in that uh, in 2019 and in 2017 we were pretty good, made the playoffs both years. Both those years we started two and two, right? Bit of an underwhelming first four games, uh, and so I say to myself, okay is this year, and I know it's an odd year, and the whole thing with odd year, even years for Mike Zimmer, he does really well in odd years, does really poorly in even years. We're all, 2021's an odd year. So if we go two and two, you know, could we turn that this season into, you know, the 13 and three like we had in 2017, you know what I mean? Or even get in as a wildcard team like we did in 2019. Or will this be like 2020 or 2018, where we start off with games where, you know, in 2018 against the Packers, that was a Daniel Carlson three missed field goal game. Miss he missed those field easy field goals in overtime. You know that tie ended up burning us in the end when we were ma- making a push to try and get that final playoff spot. And then last year we finished seven and nine. You know those games where we should have won, we should have beaten Seattle, we should have beaten Tennessee, right, etc. Those games ended up haunting us at the end of the season, right. And so in the past four years, you could say. Minnesota has lost games early that they should have won and led to some concern about uh, the team. In two of those years, 2017 and 2019, you ended up going on and having a nice year overall in terms of the regular season, making the playoffs. In 2018 and 2020, though those early losses, those early games where you say to yourself, you know what, you should have won those, that ended up biting you in the butt when you were making a bit of a push for the playoffs. And so the season hasn't happened yet. I don't know how things will play out, but I do know that there's a bit of a pattern here and we're going to learn a lot in these next two, three weeks about how the Vikings might uh, fare in, in, in the 2021 season. Yeah. And I like just hearing where we've been going second down, like it's so easy to be in this negative headspace after this and looking forward and being like, season's a wash, like it's done. Yeah. Right. Like don't get our hopes up and, 
I know one of the things we've wanted to focus on is actually being optimistic and an optimistic yep. uh, group for the the Vikings. I think it's a little bit easier sometimes for me because I just watching Twitter happen yesterday. It's like, man, these people just have um, just like a there's a traumatic history with this team and watching them and just like yep. so ready to like I said like blow it up like whatever and so <laughs> yeah, I know, that's right. That's right. it's like one game and I know yep. Cole Smith who writes over at the the Vikings Gazette among others even just said like some of these mistakes are fixable like exactly like the the penalties like you can not do that it's like right. it's actually like despite how it felt yesterday there is a possibility that you actually do not have to false start on a play that's right um, that's right and you don't have to commit an unnecessary roughness penalty. These are things that can go right for you. So I know with our third down here, we've got it titled uh, some reasons for optimism. Uh, I know you've listed three here. I'm, I'm most excited to talk about the NFC North, but we'll save that for last. Sure. Um, so I know you, the, the first two that you've listed here are the KJ Osborne emergence and the kicking and the punting. Yeah, that's right. So I think so KJ Osborne, so we actually ran 11 personnel. I think Chad Graff was tweeting that our most used uh, personnel package on offense was 11 personnel, which is to say one running back, one tight end, and then three wide receivers. And so it's a little bit more of what would be considered now more of a trendy modern look. Uh, in some ways, perhaps allows for a little bit more explosiveness insofar as it's less kind of ground and pound and more passing the ball. Uh, but Osborne had a nice game. Right, like he he made it. We've already mentioned kind of um, that third down play where really the design, as, as far as I can tell, was about making the field goal easier. But then he ended up breaking a tackle uh, and getting the first down. But he had seven catches for seventy six yards. That that was that was more than Jefferson did. So I give Osborne credit. He when I say he did nothing on offense as a rookie, I literally mean that he didn't play on offense at all. He did nothing. He got, had zero catches. He did not play an offense. And so he was, he played a lot yesterday and was actually quite productive. And I don't think he looked out of place in any way. Like, I think he looked confident and decisive. You know, there was that trick play where Justin Jefferson threw him the ball and he kind of fumbled it a little bit, uh, you know, kind of, uh, it took him a moment to secure the ball when he was catching it, but I thought he looked great. And, and, and I'm actually really encouraged about, Thielen, Jefferson, Osborne, well, you've got something there, right? Yeah. With, with with those three. I mean, we already knew we had something with the top two. But then if Osborne can be a three, four, five, six, seven catch guy, well, okay. You you've you've got something there. And so th that that to me is encouraging. For sure. And like you saw that the I know he he had the big play, the third and twenty-four. Yeah, uh, that's that right. It was it was definitely a blown coverage that set up that um the first scoring play and I, the the Jefferson trick play, it didn't. It wasn't the prettiest yeah. trick play. Um, no. I when he was running with it, I was like, okay, this dude needs to throw it because there are no options here, and that mm -hmm. definitely did not seem like option number one on that play. Um, maybe well, I think, maybe think differently. I think the design is for him to make it look like he's running because part okay. of what you're trying you're trying to make the defender. So you get a defender on Osborne. Jefferson comes around. And then you're trying to make it look like Jefferson's running so that the defender can say, okay, forget Osborne, I need to come up to tackle. And then when he comes up to tackle, then you just, you know, you give him the old dipsy doodle and you you throw it over his head into the open man. So I think that was the design. Okay, well, he so sold it. Jefferson, you know, <laughs> he sold it. I think he held on to it for a touch too long. <laughs> yeah, that, that too. That yeah. I was like, 
Like I know, yeah. and I I know they broke down, and like I'm not going to criticize a wide receiver for his right. timing of right. releasing the ball, but there was like if he had gotten it to Osborne a little bit earlier, he could have been an extra plus five or ten yards. Precisely. Um, but for sure, Osborne, like we've been talking with that wide receiver three position for yeah, a while, right. and yep. for him to step up was was big. Uh, and right. then the the kicking and punting. I know we had broken down uh, Joseph and his kicking uh, pretty extensively a couple weeks ago, and just talking about how. The, the deciding between whether you want to be having a guy that's completely reliable from inside 50 and then you kind of roll the dice on outside 50 plus. And I, as they started the drive, I was thinking about that conversation. I was like, oh man, this is where you need that 50 plus And this is like the game. Right. Uh, he nailed it. And and for the rest of the game, he was twice. Was too. Yeah. He nailed it twice because they iced them, right? Yeah. And so they, they called the timeout and it goes through. And with Sam was you, I can't remember who was, because I was mentioning a few folks. Yeah, I think you, we talked about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was saying, I was even more nervous. Yeah. Right? Because I saw, oh, like, damn. Like, he hit that 53-yarder, and I called the timeout. Man, I don't know if he's going to do it a second time, is what I'm saying to myself. And the Cleveland, or sorry, the Cleveland player, the Cincinnati player, similar colors to uh, Cleveland. They go both got orange in their jerseys. But the Cincinnati player... I, you know, I don't blame him for doing that. I'm not, I'm not saying he was doing anything wrong. But he's, he's over there pretending to give him... Uh, you know, offering some of a drink from his water bottle, talking to Joseph, and uh, you know, eventually Brian O'Neill comes over and says, you know, leave leave my cricker alone. Uh, yep. Maybe used uh, different language than that, but Can you please, yeah, yeah, would, sir, would you mind maybe stepping away? But he, you know, Joseph just didn't look like he was giving him any attention at all. He just like totally dialed in, and then he steps up and hits the fifty-three yarder again. And this was ex- like Sam was saying, we talked about this exact scenario. 53 yards, game's on the line, dude had ice in his veins. And so you tip the cap and you say, you know what? Well done, young man. Like he had all of his extra points and he hit his field goal. You say, friggin' right, dude. Like that's just like that's awesome. Right? That that that's awesome. And so that that to me is is very encouraging. And then Jordan Barry, man, that dude can punt it. Like he so it's you know, it's the hang so it's so much, so much the punting, you know, you look at the average and say, oh, well, he averaged 44 yards, he averaged 47 yards, but not every yard is made equal because if, you know, if you punt it higher in the air, you got more of that loop, then your coverage can get underneath and therefore less opportunity for the returner to, you know, bring the ball back. And so Jordan Berry, I thought he had better hang time than Colquitt. And man, there was a couple times where he just drilled that thing. And uh, I thought both the kicking and the punting were very, very good. And, you know, while on special teams, the coverage was excellent as well. I, I thought the special teams overall played really well, where I think you could find fault with both defense and offense at various points, especially the offense. I don't know if you could find fault with the special teams yesterday. No, no, it, it was it was excellent. Yeah. Um, and yeah, both the Joseph's 53 yarders were actually quite good too. Like I, he kicked yes. it. I was like, oh, those are yes. good. Like it wasn't like a... Oh, like it's drifting, or like it was just like they were pretty solid kicks. So it, it certainly is a real encourager as as a move in. That's right. That for right. him to continue doing that. Um, and then just moving to the NFC North, I I don't know if you've looked at the standings. The, the Vikings are in first place. Well, I kind of I kind of knew that. I I, I didn't. I, I saw that. Um, I saw that the Rams beat the Bears, which is not surprising. Um, but I didn't see the final score. But just in that, like, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they would distinguish the standings now based off point differential. 
And so I, I saw the score of the Lions game, and of course I was thrilled to see uh, the Packers completely poop themselves. Um, you know, that was just, you know, even though I hate the Saints, strategically the best thing for us is for the Saints to win that game because our most immediate context for making the playoffs is our division. So it makes it makes sense for us to cheer for the Saints in that scenario, even though I hate to say it. Um, I was going to say, when I watched that and I saw the score come in, I was like, just trying to figure out where you would stand. I was like, yeah. I know you hate the Saints more, but yeah, considering the Vikings and what it had the impact, like I think this is probably the one situation where you're okay with the Saints absolutely putting a claw very okay with them. it. Very. I mean, if I would be a very happy person if the Packers lost like that every single week. <laughs> um, I'm not of the opinion. I, I think it's like I, I, I'm not of the. I don't. I don't want any Packers to get hurt. I don't want any injuries. I'm not, I don't like that kind of talk amongst fans. I, I don't want anything like that to happen. I want the Packers to be fully healthy, to have all the resources available to them, to be able to give it their hundred percent best shot. And then to get beat 38 to three every single time that, that to me would just be fantastic. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't want anything, you know, crazy with injury. No, no, none of that. Cause these are guys are human beings. And they got families. I don't want any of that stuff, but if they lost 38 to three, every single game, at full capacity, full strength, that would make me a very happy Vikings fan. Yeah. How would you feel about Rodgers going and hosting Jeopardy? Uh, <laughs> just, just moving on. Start, well, start going for and just he just yeah. called it. I feel a little bad because I kind of like Jeopardy, but, you know, it'd be worth it. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could watch the show anymore, but it'd be worth it overall. Ruins one thing that you love to another. Um, yeah. yeah, you know what? Like watching that win 24 in overtime or 38 to 3 uh, looks the same. Certainly concerning. I, I didn't think that when I I know they were talking about the Green Bay and Saints being the game of the week, and I was like, the Saints team I don't think is going to be as good. That was my uh, thought was, as well. Like concerns. Yep. I was like, I was like, this could turn into a schlacking, and it did. It just didn't go the way that I thought it was <laughs> yeah, going to. That's right. Um, that's right. So yeah, it, all that to say, no ground lost yesterday. I think you, someone that looks at it from a pessimistic standpoint could say real missed opportunity to to go up but at the end of the day your competitors did the same thing you did in the sense that they started off with a loss and so certainly some optimism optimism there and i don't think any of those teams showed anything um like i think as bad as the vikings played i think they would have played the best from what i saw out of any four of those teams which is which is the bar's low <laughs> like, the, bar is, the bar is literally on yeah. the ground um, yeah, but they, right. they did. Yeah, no, and the only my only counterpoint that I think Sam is pretty much right, and I think Sam and I would both say yesterday was disappointing. It wasn't damning, right? I think we would both agree on that. If this is not reason to take leave of our senses and just say that the sky is falling, the only my only counterpoint to what Sam is saying, where I disagree slightly, is that so yeah, I didn't think the Saints would be very good, but they're at least they'd be a pretty good team, like at least a competitive, strongish team where I don't feel the same way about Cincinnati. Like Cincinnati felt like that was a game that should be, should, emphasis on should, should be a relatively easy win. Insofar right. as you have relatively easy wins in the NFL. Probably not the same with the Saints, because they do still have talent, even though there's some uncertainty at quarterback. Uh, so that'd be my only kind of quibble, but I think Sam's right. I mean, it's basically at this point, we're all 0-1. We've got a slight edge in that our point differential is not quite as bad as the other three. 
And so let's go from there and let's uh, surprise some folks and win against Arizona. That would be that would be huge. They they would really benefit from from having that happen because yeah, this was a little bit of a kick in the kick in the pants here. It was a kick in the lost. pants. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Good. Well, I was partially I was cheering for them to win because I want them to win, but partially because I did not want to start talking about a loss. Um, but I think there's some reason for optimism and hopefully yeah. uh, cut those penalties. And I was going to say in half, but it needs to be even less than that. Like it needs less to than be half a quarter of that. Half uh, of those penalties would still be bad. Yeah. And if, if they can do that and figure out a plan to, to combat some of the strengths that the Arizona roster brings, um, I'm hopefully we're in for a fun game next week. Amen to that. Good. Well, we can wrap up there. Not a whole lot to talk about in the odds and ends. Nothing's really happening with the Wild. Still waiting on the, the Kaprizov deal. Um, I know I was listening to a podcast earlier this week with an agent, uh, Alan Walsh, Walsh in the NHL, and he was just saying that uh, deadlines create urgency for these mm -hmm. deals, and mm -hmm. there's really no uh, urgency right now with, with real no deadline in sight. And so, yeah, I... As we've been saying all along, this is going to take some time, but it's going to come together. There's a yep. whole slew of RFAs that still haven't been signed. Um, yep. Yeah, there. This will this will come, but right now, just patiently waiting and, and sitting and uh, yeah, ready for for him to join when when that happens. Um, hopefully, at a reasonable deal. But other than that, not a whole lot's happening. It's True fun enough. to see fun to see NFL back though, and and for us to be having the sport to, to really follow and, and watching some meaningful games. Yep. Amen to that. Cool. Well, we can wrap up there. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Kyle, where can listeners find more of your work? So hop over to vikingsgazette.com and to purpleptsd.com and also vikingsterritory.com. Those are spots where uh, I write and publish. And so uh, if you like written Vikings coverage, then by all means, check out those spots. You can also, uh, find Twitter and Facebook at Vikings Gazette. Uh, so by all means, if you feel so inclined, do that. And if not, then that's fine. Have a great day. Glad, glad, glad to have you around somewhere. Yeah, uh, exactly. Glad, glad you're listening to this at least. Um, yep. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap up there. We'll be back next Monday uh, where we'll break down the, the win against Arizona. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>